0: Everybody in real estate says the classic, my market is different. And there are some big differences we know between markets around Australia. And there are big differences between say city markets and regional markets. And I think the market in which Lux Listing Sydney is set is probably the eastern suburbs of Sydney, which is like a different planet compared to like everywhere else.
1: You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of elite agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers, and leaders. Leaders. Each episode, we bring you behind the scene supplier news, developments, exclusive interviews, technology, and more to help you list more, sell more, and elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agents' premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. Now, here is your host, Samantha McLean.
0: Welcome everyone to a special episode of the Elevate podcast. I'm Samantha McLean from Elite Agent and today for a few very special episodes of the show which I am super looking forward to, I'm joined by the one and only legend from Wagga, Dave Scow.
2: G'day, hey Sam, thanks for having me.
0: It's awesome to have you. So, so many of you know Dave, he's an industry trainer. He's been on our cover. Um, He's appeared in lots of elite agent stuff over the years, like every agent has a story and he's been a transform coach and more. But um, to tell you the truth, Dave and I really bonded over our mutual love of reality television, didn't we?
2: Correct. Absolutely.
0: Um, In particular, Survivor.
2: Yeah, we're both absolute Survivor tragics. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and you've raised all that money for Luke Toki, which was incredible.
2: Yeah, that, and that's my claim to find me out forever. I can be as good a real estate practitioner and trainer in the world, but I will never do anything better than uh, that GoFundMe campaign for, for Luke. Yep, yeah, I'll hang my head on that.
0: Yeah, very, very well-deserved. And, of course, um, we're not really here to talk about survival. We're here to talk about another reality television show, which is Lux Listing Sydney. So you're a big fan of the show, yeah?
2: Huge fan, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's um, one of those uh, abilities to be the voyeur in um, these people that, as industry practitioners, we know from the the articles that we read in the lead agent and the videos that we see online. Uh, So it's nice to see a little behind-the-scenes glimpse.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so um, we did some written recapping of season one with Nikki Horner from Canberra at the helm. And um, you and I have talked and we thought we'd take it up a notch this year and create a series of podcast episodes. But we're not just going to recap the show, are we? We're going to actually talk about some of the great lessons and things like that um, that we can pick up from the top agents because they are the top of their field for a reason, yeah?
2: Correct. Yeah, and that's exactly right. I think it's more than just... An entertainment piece. It's really an opportunity to maybe take a bit of learning from this too, because we're not all uh, agents in the marketplaces that these uh, people that are showcased on Lux Listings are in. But there's definitely some continuity and some um, practices that translate into any marketplace, and, and we're going to really look at those things.
0: Yeah, it's and 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 we're going to have a bit of fun because let's face it, watching Lux Listings and calling it works just like eating chocolate and calling it a diet. Right. <laughs> Um, so everybody in real estate says the classic, like my market is different. And there are some big differences we know between markets around Australia. And there are big differences between say city markets and regional markets. And I think, um, you know, the market in which we, in which Lux listing Sydney is set is probably the eastern suburbs of Sydney, which is like a different planet compared to like everywhere else. Um, you've worked in regional markets and city markets, um, how? What? What do you say to that statement that my market is different?
2: Correct. I mean, every market is going to be different. But again, there's a, there's always at the, the the crux of any real estate transaction, be it a sale or a listing or a, a property under management, whether it's in the eastern suburbs or at the back of Broken Hill, there's always that common theme of client experience first and and putting the the client's needs ahead of anything else in that transaction. And I think the guys in Lux Listings do a really good job of showcasing that on the show. Um, And I think the agent at the back of Broken Hill is going to be able to do that in their day-to-day business as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the angle we're going at, I think, um, you know, for parts of this apart from obviously the educational Angle is, you know, like I was thinking about this. This my market's different thing, and I remember from back in the '90s, which you might be too young for, there was this um, column in a magazine in the UK um, called "Would They Wear It in Wigan," which is a nice bit of alliteration there. But um, but basically, in the '90s, there was a whole bunch of runway fashion that was like, you know, exposed breasts and um, tin foil jackets and big voluminous skirts and things like that, which were probably like a bit much for the straight talking, you know, brisk weather wearing women of Wigan. And that column got really, really, really popular. And what happened then was um, New Woman in Australia picked it up, but they picked it up with the title, would they wear it in Wagga? <laughs> and, um, you know, like often they would come up with these weird and wonderful things on the runway. And I feel like, you know, some of the things that we see in Lux Listings and what we see in Lux Listings Sydney, you know, like would they do it in Wagga? And well, happy coincidence, you are from Wagga.
2: Correct. Boga represent. Look, I'm really happy about that. It's a, it is a happy coincidence. Uh, yeah, look, I think that that's exactly right. I think taking a view of what these guys do on the show and being able to translate it into how this would work um, throughout the different markets, whether it's regional or coastal or rural or in the metro areas or in the high-end areas of the capitals of Melbourne or even Canberra now is a really um, quite a lucrative marketplace with some really beautiful uh, high end homes and and people with big high net disposable wealth. So I think being able to translate it across the across the spectrum is a really a really good opportunity for us.
0: Yeah, amazing! And now to kick off, so Lux Listing Season Two, Episode One well, Episodes One, Two, and Three, premiere on April the first. So we're going to take a journey back in time um, to Series 1 and we're going to recap Series 1 and then we're going to bring you all the action from, from all of the episodes of Season 2. And, um, and before we kick off, I'd just like to thank our series sponsor, Issue.com, who are an all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital content from your listings to your marketing materials, to your brochures, your portfolios and more. It's also where you'll find a lot of Elite Agent-back issues, so you can check them out at Issue.com forward slash Elite Agent. Mag. There's a special offer. Readers, listeners of Elite Agent Elevate can get started with Issue today for free. If you sign up for an annual account to get 50% off, that's issue.com, issu slash elevate and use the promo code Elite at the checkout for your free account or 50% off your annual premium account. And it's a fantastic service. So go check it out. Now, Dave, back to season one. It had everything from sperm freezing to Miss Australia to birds flying into beamers, Tibetans singing bowls, castles, embassies, fast car, and lots and lots of luxury. And there was even some property.
2: How about that? <laughs> property as well.
0: <laughs> so let's get into episode one.
2: Beautiful. Let's do it. Uh, I think episode one really sets the scene very well at the leading three personalities that we're going to follow throughout the, the series of Lux listings. Um, and although the three personalities are vastly different and the way that they operate are very different and even their outlook on how real estate should be done is quite different, there are some very, very key um, traits that all of them possess. Um, some of my favourite bits in that first episode and we kick off with uh, the Rubenstein Group celebrating their first birthday. Uh, Gavin comes out full of bravado uh, talking about how he eats brisk for breakfast um, and then gives us a a running commentary on all of the things that make him amazingly successful and he is amazingly successful at what he does. Uh, And then, as you said, fancy that, we actually get that first glimpse of the property porn side of what Lux Listings is all about. Um, with the the property in Dover Heights, the property that's going to auction. Uh, he introduces the show to Simon there, uh, where we meet uh, Simon, the buyer's agent, um, at a, a sneak peek, I suppose, before what looks like before the, the open house inspection, so that Simon can uh, assess it for his client's needs. Uh, and at this point, I think we see that juxtaposition between the role of buyer's agent and the role of selling agent, but also the real sense of camaraderie and friendship that obviously these two guys that have known each other for a long time uh, really foster. And that's a, a nice point in that episode as well. Um, that brings us then to our third star of the series, which is obviously Delene Lewis from Lang and Langton's Double Bay. Uh, and Delene is there looking to hire a new assistant. Uh, she's at some glitzy, glamorous place down in Circular Quay meeting up with uh, Daniella for the first time. And uh, we see Daniela feature throughout the the series quite a bit, um, and ultimately we'll talk about her sort of as the, the series comes to a close. Uh, what were some of your takeaways from from this first episode, Set?
0: Yeah, I think I'll never forget the statement, I I, I eat risk for breakfast. Um, you know, I'd, I, I'd like to say I spread it on my toast, but I kind of don't. <laughs> Too many carbs <laughs> for a Lux sister. Um, and the other one, I think, you know, Simon, I think we we're introduced to, you know, like, as you say, the, the difference between a buyer's agent and a seller's agent, because, um, you know, you see Simon walk in and it's classic buyer's agent, you know, like, and, and I think Nikki called it sort of the, like the duck waddle, like, you know, this is bad, that's bad that's not good that's too ordinary this is you know like so um and then his classic line which was something like if it's any higher we're not the buyer um and um you know i think basically every buyer's agent in australia picked up their pen and wrote that one down and it's probably been used a, a million million times since but um Oh, look, there was so much in that episode to love. I think Amazon really, really, um, you know, they opened the series with a bang. I love the dinner at Simon's house. And I think, you know, one of the MVPs of, of this season and hopefully next season is uh, Simon's mum, Jen. Um, She was just such a, such a lovable, lovable mum. And um, yeah, no, love that. And even, you know, Simon Schwitzing over the, you know, like um, her wanting to find, (laughs) find him a girlfriend or a wife or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. So I I loved all of that. And then obviously we ended with that crescendo of the, the cruise where, you know, there was a bit of non-scripted, of course, (laughs) conflict between, between the three of them but um yeah what a what a great way to open open and showcase Sydney
2: yeah absolutely and then leaving us on that big cliffhanger and Amazon have done this really well where from episode to episode they've really left us on the cliffhanger and we're at the auction uh, of this place in Dover Heights things are really heating up um Cooley's doing a great job on the gavel obviously uh, and then like that the episode's over and uh yeah which brings us into episode two
0: that's it you can tell it's Damien Cooley by the tie yeah
2: Correct, 100%. Yes. <laughs> <Everything as well. laughs> it's like, it. like,
0: like, a, you know, like a rosella in a land full of, you know, like um, sulphur-crested cockies. But anyway, um, yeah, so Dover Heights. So we come into the next episode, uh, which is episode two, and I think the classic line from that one is that it's classic auction. There are a lot of people sort of sitting around sort of tight-lipped, you know, trying not to look at each other. It looks a bit like a scene from The Bold and the Beautiful to me where everyone's kind of like... And sniffing the air and um, doing doing all those ones until, Gavin says, in one of his diary moments, I work the auction floor like a stripper at a Bucks party. And I thought that's classic Gavin. And only he, I think, um, because, you know, like we've interviewed Gavin a lot of times. I've got a lot of time for Gavin. Only he could get away with that line, I think.
2: Agreed.
0: Agree. And then there was a bit of a moment in that episode which I didn't love and that was the bit where, um, you know, the, do you remember the two girls were bidding and then there was that snide guy at the the, the side sort of saying, what is daddy going to buy you a house or something like that, not believing that they had the money. I think, you know, like the advice I'd give agents out there is don't judge a book by its cover
1: because
0: yeah. you just never know. Like there's so many tech billionaires that sort of walk around in, you know, like black polo necks and scruffy jeans that, you just don't know who's got the money these days and I thought it was a bit of a chauvinist comment to make what about you
2: yeah correct and I think Hoolie did really well at um bringing that back in and I mean it's it's hard to say how much of that was scripted and how much was actually real life but these things happen in real life and we see them uh, Tom Penos will show you almost every weekend that he's got his iPhone out at his auctions that there's always a heckler uh, and he deals with them really well and very directly and I think any consummate uh auctioneer um has the ability to be able to diffuse those situations quite quickly. Yeah, that old bloke was a bit of a pig, but um, I think that it is representative of what does happen in real life, whether it was scripted for this uh, episode or not. Things like that do happen, things get out of control.
0: Yeah. And then I think the moment that we, um, you know, we introduced Delene as our queen, like, um, and, you know, obviously, Queen and Delene as rhymes. Yeah. Um, you know, was was that moment that she was um, talking to Janet, who is the vendor at Blair Athol. And again, like this was just a, a beautiful example of um, really looking after your vendor, being transparent, um, taking into account, you know, that, that the vendor didn't really want to see the house knocked down. Um, and Delene took all of that on board and ended up coming back while she sat down and had tea and, and did all the things. And, you know, I just thought that that was a really lovely way to meet your vendor or your customer where they're at. Yeah. And, um, you know, and in the end she got the listing and, and brought in a beautiful buyer. So that was like, that was a really good moment for me in that episode.
2: Yeah. And that really was a masterclass in building rapport and empathy with, with the clients and matching them on their level, as you said. And I mean, in the previous episode, we saw Delene absolutely hold her own um, in the argy-bargy on the the, ship, uh, the boat with Gavin and, and the TRG group of, of blokes um, and obviously before in that episode, she would sort of described herself as um, or, or people had described her previously as the Rockweaver in heels. I really like that comment. And, and she sort of countered that with saying that she certainly wasn't a pooch. Um, I, I think that's a, a really nice way to see how Delene operates in terms of being able to tough it out with the boys as needed, but also be that really soft, um, gentle, sweet, um, trusted agent and advocate for the vendor uh, when she needs to be, she did, that was yeah that was a, a stroke of brilliance.
0: Yeah, I, I think um you know she's she's definitely a masterclass in you know she knew she wasn't going to win where she just handled herself really well, picked yeah. herself back up again and and kept moving forward, which I thought was was really really good. Yeah, agreed. So on to episode three. Give me your highlights from episode three.
2: Look, I think that the Bondi apartment was probably um, the my my favourite bit of this episode. From the real estate point of view where um, Gavin and his team sourced out the opportunity, first of all, by um, scoping out this overpriced listing that had been on the market for a a long period of time, uh, that was obviously overpriced and and perhaps there was some dud advice that was given by the previous listing agent, who knows, um, all the way through to the the point where Gavin meets the vendor, builds trust, is very, very blunt and honest with the uh, price opinion and, and what It was going to take to be able to get that sold Um, and even then he thought that the the, the listing price was pretty lofty um, from a price per square meter perspective Um, and then through to the open house of the year which had the best vista that Sydney has to offer uh, right on the sand of Bondi Beach with live music and expensive champagne flowing, Um, old blokes in budgie smugglers which was probably (laughs) the low light of the episode. Um, The the lady who probably wasn't a giant but next to Gavin looked like an absolute behemoth of a woman um, whose YSLs wouldn't fit on the stairs as she was going down. Um, I loved it. I loved the Bondi apartment. I thought that, um, look, even though it seemed small, I could definitely see myself perched up there. That's the kind of place that would be worthwhile coming back to Sydney for, and I probably wouldn't come back to Sydney for much. Uh, The traffic would do my absolute head in, but if it was for that, I'd probably be back there.
0: Yeah, well, that's it. I, I guess it doesn't matter if you're in a small apartment when you're that close to the beach and you can sort of, you know, like you, you're five minutes from the outdoors. And it still Gavin's kind of listing, even though it wasn't like the big, sprawling, um, you know, cliff house or whatever it was, Gavin um, sort of seems to be able to pick up these um, interesting places and then markets the absolute bejesus out of them. So, you know, like who would come up with, you know, and and an I reckon that guy in the budgies was one of Gavin's mates. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> (laughs) 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 but um or could have been could have been one of kyle sandalins's mates who who knows but um you know thinking about the aussie burgers and and the the champagne and like everything is like five star um amazing like the open home itself is an event and um well, you can tell that was done sort of pre COVID and stuff like that. But, you know, like I, I do hope that we can sort of get back to showcasing. I mean, maybe you wouldn't do that in Wagga. That's one of the things that you wouldn't do in Wagga. But no, the view like that in
2: Wagga. That's the only problem. We're missing the view.
0: <laughs> yep. But um, it would be, It would. it was very, it's very cool the way that Gavin actually looks at open homes in the most great detail. Like I can remember asking him once, you know, what is your point of difference? And he just said one word detail like and you can see that down to the Yens degree it was all all super 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 planned yeah
2: yeah, yeah. and even him coming in i can't remember if it was at this episode it might have been another open that he was preparing for but some of the things that he picked up that he wasn't quite happy with before the video show or before the open house and uh, the assistant was scurrying around behind him fixing them, they were minute details but they were absolute details and for him that makes all the difference and yeah that is what sets him apart
0: Yeah, absolutely. So this episode was also, Simon went on a date with Miss Universe Australia, I think. And it was just, it was sort of kind of a bit of a hilarious episode because he was late for the date because he had to step over some man in the street doing something unspeakable. And then as they were talking, he was taking phone calls from people. And then she was sort of talking to waiter about being a vegan. And then he orders a medium rest steak, which I didn't think was probably the best move um you know, but, no. like we
2: just he couldn't give a shit
0: i just reckon i just reckon jen might have said simon that's you're true. never gonna you're never gonna get a female doing that sort of stuff but i also think like you know i think that's where nikki and i sort of talked about the episode and it's like simon for bachelor 2022 like you know can can really? yeah i just think he's a shoe in And I can just imagine, you know, like a rose ceremony with, you know, like Osha and Simon, you know, at the end of it and, you know, like um, ladies. You did not get a rose from Simon, like you know, and um, but you know, like I've got this whole narrative in my head of um, you know, home visits with Jen and yeah, everyone yeah. spitzing at the table and you know, cuddling puppies and um, you know, and Simon on the phone and all the rest of it. So, you know, like if Channel 10 are listening, you know, like I think Simon's your guy next year, yeah, I
2: think he is. And look, I think that there's much more than just Jen, too. I mean, I think that the Potential uh, bachelorettes would have to go through and meet the whole cohen handler team. He obviously spends more time there than he does anywhere else. Uh, <laughs> the, the tricky part is going to be find, finding a bachelorette that is happy with um, playing second fiddle to C.H. I suppose he, he lives and breathes his work. And again, that, that's the um, the cornerstones of his success, and he's wildly successful. He's, he's no doubt uh, the, the best buyer's agency or best buyer's agency in, in the country, and that doesn't come by. Um, uh, by doing things in half. So good on him. Yeah, absolutely. I also liked in this episode, one other thing, that uh, just before we move on to episode four, was the showcasing of Deline in that really vulnerable spot where earlier in the episode we'd seen her meet with Tom, uh, a, a client of hers. She had a listing. Um, it wasn't selling. She had it open again. No buyers came through. And it's, as an agent, something that we can all relate to. We've all had uh, listings that just for love and all money will not bloody sell. And this place looked like it was fairly niche. Uh, It had a few uh, quirks that weren't going to suit everyone. It wasn't an easy job to sell. The vendor was very set on price and wouldn't be told otherwise. Um, And it was sort of building up to, oh, shit, I think Delene's going to lose this one. And ultimately, when she's having that family time, which she talks about valuing really highly uh, in the episode, um, she gets the call from Tom, still takes the time to take the call, even though she's in the middle of family time and her dad's birthday, um, and I think that's just a really class act. The way that she handled that whole um, scenario, uh, she, she showed a lot of resilience. First of all, which is obviously a key characteristic in any successful real estate agent's toolkit. Um, but she was very humble in in the way that that went. There was certainly no burning of bridges. Um, I think a lot of up and coming agents can take a lot of a lot from that in the way that she conducted herself there.
0: Yeah, I think I think so too, because you know, like you can either keep sort of um, you know, knocking yourself out, you know, on a no-win situation, or you can sort of move on because, you know, like, you know, maybe it's just something that's not clicking between um agent and vendor. And, you know, there for for every for every vendor, there is an agent. It just might not be you. Correct,
2: absolutely. Another thing that I really liked about the whole series was just how open the three main characters were with access to their families. Um, the fact that we were in Delene's house with her parents and her sister and the, the two girls, the fact that we were in Simon's house um, for Shabbat uh, with his mum and dad and obviously Liam and uh, Tammy as well, uh, and then later on we'll talk about it in a tick because I think it's the next episode where we get to meet Gav's dad uh, and he takes the time to go on with him. That's it's big of them, I think. I think that they've got such high profile public lives as elite agents uh, that they certainly don't need to invite the cameras into their homes. And the fact that they have, I think, is really added to the authenticity of the whole series. So good on them for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so episode four, if you don't like rejection, get out of real estate. I feel like every coach has sort of, you know, said that at one point or another. Yeah. Um, so And, and this, this is where we, a few things happen. Well, first, first of all, uh Jen got a puppy, which was um, you
2: know, like who doesn't love which a puppy? Absolutely no hate off Simon bearing grandchildren. I think it was a really dud move for Simon to think <laughs> that that was going to have any impact. Jen is still desperate for the grandchildren, but it made no difference.
0: I reckon, yeah. I reckon she I reckon she is too. Um Simon was forced across the bridge to Mossman because, you know, like obviously the lux listings in Sydney aren't all about the east side. Some of them dreadful, are dreadful. How
2: dreadful having to go over to the north. Jeez.
0: I know, right? I know, right? There's actually, there's a rumor, Dave, that the north side is going to be featured a bit more in um, season two. So there's going to be a bit more um, tra- traversing of the Harbour Bridge, mm-hmm. as I understand. So we're leading up to the crescendo here. Obviously we're over the hump um, in season three. And then we're leading up to the crescendo where, you know, Gavin and Shanee have a a bit of a fallout over a, over a broken um, mouse. And that sort of leads up to, you know, sort of an interesting um, scenario. But I think, you know, this is, um, and you see it a lot in real estate businesses as people working with friends and family. Um, do you have any advice on that?
2: Look, I think very long and hard about it. I've employed friends previously who were probably employed because they were a friend and not because they may have been the best person for the job, and it doesn't always work well. Um, I think in this case with Shani and Gavin, it's quite obvious that friendship comes before that employer-employee relationship and because of the way that Gavin operates at such a tempo and such a driven focused uh, way of doing things he just needs this shit done and because Shanine and he are friends Shanee thinks well this is really trivial stuff plug your own freaking mouse in he, he needs someone that will plug the mouse in forking without the back chat and perhaps Shanee's not the right person for it I don't know she seems lovely I really liked her on the show um, I think she would bring a lot of value into that business, but maybe not that business. Maybe someone else's real estate business that she's not uh, childhood friends with. Yeah. I think it's tainted with
1: danger.
0: Yeah. I do think, um, you know, cause we had the whole of TRG on the cover um, in 2020, 2020, I think actually, now that I think about it. And I interviewed all of them or all of them at that time, because obviously the team has grown substantially since then. And, um, they're all very driven people. Like, you know, like it's very obvious to me that, that Gavin recruits for a certain culture. And I think it's fine to sort of, you know, bring someone in at the bottom, but then, you know, make sure that there is a path up for them, um, you know, when they're ready, because I don't think Gavin, you know, sort of recruits people that, you know, are happy to just plod along and stay where they are. Yeah. And, um, you know, even Shanee, she's a qualified lawyer, I think, Um, you know, so, yeah, she's, um, you know, obviously probably has ambitions of her own as well, so. Um, be interesting to see where she goes in season two.
2: Yeah, if she, um, she's got much of a, a role to play in season two. And speaking about support staff in season two, someone who I'm surprised we haven't talked about up until now is probably the real star of the show, in my opinion. I love him. Uh, is young Liam Simon's offside? Of Liam because he's an absolute card. He's hilarious. He is so naive uh, and dumb's not the right word, but he's he's just such a a boy, such a young boy learning the ropes, um, but you can't help but love him because he's freaking hilarious. He's, he's a funny addition. I love him. He's great
0: yeah absolutely yeah we'll know that you mentioned it poor old liam got locked in the car and we came up with that hashtag free liam at the same time that you know free britney was i think they were just going to an open house and poor old liam got you know um got sidelined but you know like i thought he was a really good he was a really good sidekick for simon in terms of um you know getting him his juices and well he even i mean look he he was the one that was responsible for that fabulous party in episode six um you know that's an amazing talent and then i think even in episode five you know like he showed that he was like truly simon's um you know like yeah. a chip off the old block almost yeah. when he sort of started you know doing the waddle around the house going you know no this needs fixing that's ordinary that's you know it's like yeah. proud proud moment but speaking of simon's Offsiders, um my one of my favorites in the show is actually tammy she's got the softness when she needs to be soft and she's got the sass when she needs to be sassy. And in the very beginning, you know, way back in season two, she gave Simon a bit of heat when, you know, like she said, well, this is a kitchen Simon, some people cook in it, Um, you know, which I I thought was like, boom, well done. Um, but you know, like obviously, there would have been a lot of people in the industry that would recognise Tammy's talents from watching the show, including our Queen Deline, who right. tried to um, who tried to recruit Tammy in um, in episode four. Now that actually goes on a lot in the real estate industry, doesn't it? That's not that's pretty normal.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. Because good talent is hard to find, and if you can find someone that has those, and it's not. Uh, the, the skill the skill stuff you can teach um, the technical stuff you can you can learn on the job it's the attitude and the tenacity and the resilience and all of these buzzwords that make a good real estate practitioner whether that be a sales agent in their own right or sales associate or an offside or an administrator good talent is hard to find so there's a lot i mean it's probably the same in a lot of industries but uh, it would be not real estate if there wasn't someone moving from one agency to another in certain marketplaces
0: constantly. Yeah, it's something we find a lot in, um, you know, in, in elite agent, we'll get a press release saying, oh, so-and-so started at such and such a place, but then, you know, like for the uninitiated, it's always, all right, well, where, where did they come from? <laughs> There's always an opposite side to this story or, you know, when one office closes under one brand, it opens up under another. And, you know, like, um, yeah, sometimes you just got to read between the lines a bit, you know, in, in the industry in that way.
2: Yeah, that's right. And the other thing I like about this episode is the introduction of Michael Paglia. Um, Michael Paglia is a really renowned agent in the eastern suburbs who's been around for a long, long time um, working for the Sotheby's brand or, or operating the Sotheby's brand in the eastern suburbs now. He is the MVP of this episode and Simon himself says in the episode, uh, Michael Paglia is one of the nicest people that you'll ever meet in real estate. Um, And that really rings true through this episode. He's featured again in another episode where we see the castle, which we'll talk about in a tick. Um, And I think that if he wasn't such the the dorky dad, he'd probably be a front runner to be one of the main players in something like Lux Listings, but he's just such the dorky dad. Like his, his dad jokes galore and, He's just a bit of a nervous man. Anyway, I love him. I think he's fantastic. And the results that he has achieved throughout his career speak absolute volumes. But, yeah, I'm really happy that we saw someone like Michael Paglia showcased him in, in a couple of the episodes in, in this season.
0: He, he is gorgeous. And we interviewed him just after season one finished airing. And, um I can remember, you know, I mentioned Lux listings and and he said, oh, yeah, some people um, recognize me walking down the street. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and you know, he seemed quite surprised about it, like that people, you know, like you're in that show and yeah, he, he, yep, yep. yep yeah. I was in that show, like, you know, like and seemed genuinely surprised about it, which was which was kind of lovely. So um, and this episode then ends on Gavin selling the Bondi apartment for a record. Uh, for three million, so I think um, you know. I think that's the results to sort of back up those claims that um, you know that, that he made and, and all the scripts and dialogues. So you know, I think that proves that you can use the scripts and dialogues so long as you can back it up with the result and the, and the chops to actually execute.
2: One hundred percent right. And the other thing that we see in this episode at the end is that it leaves us on another auction cliffhanger with Michael Pallier's, uh Sea View House or Harbour View House. Um, which Simon's got a buyer at and a little bit unorthodox in having the buyer there at the, at the auction with him. I don't think that that's something that would usually happen in a buyer's agency situation. I think he mentions in the episode that it is a little unusual Um, the buyer is nervous, god, she's nervous throughout that whole auction. And she's talking to Simon, I'm thinking, just shut up, don't say anything, just let him do his thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> there was, um, Absolutely ferocious competition. And their pre auction offer of 13 million, um, Pallia was talking about it being somewhere in the range of 15 or 16 million, uh, and absolutely blown out of the water and sells in excess, for in excess of 24 million. Um, and there were just some bidders there that just didn't want to miss out and I think it was a real master stroke from the eventual buyer the Asian lady who ended up being the buyer came in very late and she just picked everyone at the post and um she obviously had the cash and and, and didn't want to miss out so good luck to them
0: Yeah, I remember I remember thinking it was a bit like running the Melbourne Cup, that auction, because, you know, again, it started slow and it's sort of like like the Melbourne Cup race where it's like all the horses are sort of bunched in together. And then all of a sudden, you know, like somebody comes from nowhere and like you've all done your tickets. But um, I think the MVP before we leave that one and sort of go on to episode five is the MVP of that episode was Simon's Eyebrows. (laughs) <laughs> because <laughs> because he proved like in that auction not only did he have like nerves of steel but you know like he had all of the looks and um you know like yeah he was exactly. just reading the
2: room like everyone that's right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. To yeah absolutely
0: yeah. <laughs> absolutely all right episode 5
2: beautiful uh, i think that's the from a, a practical point of view that's that whole judging a book by its cover again comes back up in this episode because the, um, the buyer, Sue, they're talking about if, if some idiot wants to overpay for it, then I'm happy to miss out. She desperately wanted that house and she was disappointed that she didn't get it, but um, I think that she uh, had real resolve to see that it, it just wasn't hers for the taking in the end. Um, the other thing that we see here is the Cheney and Gab situation um, escalating, well, not escalating, but coming to a point where um, it's probably a little bristly and towards the end of the episode they then um, have a chat, have the chat, can we go for the chat down on the beach at Avalon, which was a nice scene for it, but uh, it was a bit awkward, Um, I don't know, and I don't think she really agreed with the things that he was saying either. Um, And again, my favourite, Liam comes really into his own here uh, and it's the battle of the assistants with uh, Delene's assistant, Daniela, and Simon's assistant, Liam, sort of uh, cutting their teeth, if you like, under the watchful eye of their their mentors, um, but uh, giving their, themselves a bit of a run for their money, I suppose, in a bit of a, a mock situation where uh, Danielle is probably doing a little too much to sell the property, and she's a little um, flouting.
0: Yeah, I think the magical trees was the thing that got me because you oh. could almost see you could almost see Delaine going <laughs> like. <laughs>
2: Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. Liam, as you said before, duckwaddling his way through, absolutely pulling the place to shreds, and and finally just saying, "Yeah, look, it's a knockdown."
1: Slashed <laughs> 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 yeah.
2: into his mouth. You could—that's something that Simon would have said, and, and probably an absolute moment of pride for Simon. I would think that um, that Liam yeah. had actually cottoned on to to that completely. Um, yeah. The other thing I liked in this episode was. Um the new buyer that we met, Simon's new buyer, um Tamara with the the thick Eastern European accent. Um yeah, yeah, look, she's she was crazy. She, She was a nut job. Um how did you find Tamara?
0: Oh, Tamara. She was the one that um, there wasn't enough gold or something, and she was just going gray, 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 drab, drab, yet, yeah, yeah, like you know, and um, yeah. That, I think Claudia Michaels from um, McGrath yeah. over on the North Shore guessed it in that one, and she was in this beautiful red dress. And I think you know, like, I think, uh, I think that um, that buyer, I think she liked Cla- Claudia's dress more than she liked the house.
2: So but the buyer like she was so so off on a tangent on everything that um, it was a real mismatch I think and the fact that she couldn't find the front door and she was yelling out like a lunatic down on the harbour out to Simon to try and find where he was she's yeah. I thought she was. we see you in the next episode and I actually warmed to her a bit more but yeah I just thought it was this absolute nutbag
0: Well, it is in, in her defense, I think it was Tamara. Yeah. Tamara was by in her defense. Like I used to walk down that, you know, that's Cremorne wharf. And I used to, Mark and I used to go walking there. Um, And the, the houses are sort of perched so high up and they are really like the, the, the road to get into them um really you kind of need a compass and a set square to to try and work out where the actual (laughs) entrance to the house was but i suppose you know like if you're the listing agent you want to and you've got a buyer that's got you know that sort of cash you probably want to meet them somewhere where it's you know like where they're able to because also like the stairs on those properties like you have to be fit to actually get up those stairs like people do those stairs to prepare for triathlons so so i did feel a bit sorry for Tamara in that episode.
2: The other technical lesson I liked out of this uh, episode going back to the Liam and uh, Daniella thing was seeing Delane out on the rake. Um, she again is just that um, absolute example of not being too good to do anything. She kicks off the heels, gets on the rake, makes sure that everything's presentable before Simon and Liam get there to show the property. Um, I think that's a true, I, I sound like a real raving Delane fan and I'm, I'm no more Delene fan than anyone else, but I just like the fact that uh, there's these lessons that up-and-coming agents or, or agents in general can take that uh, you're never too good to, to rake the leaves.
0: Yeah. Um, we, she, she is the queen. Delene is the queen. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's talk at the final episode. So this is where everything kind of comes together, but, you know, but we are actually left. We, we, we thought loose ends were going to be tied up, but then they left us with a whole bunch of cliffhangers, which obviously they were planning season two um, because, you know, if, if you're going to leave us with cliffhangers, it's like dynasty, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to expect that they're going to be resolved. Yeah. So um So episode six, which is the last episode in the season, um, comes with a heap of cliffhangers. So we know that we're going to get a season two. But I think, you know, interestingly, so Tamara didn't like the house in Mossman because it was too grey. So Simon thinks, I know, I'm going to get this woman a castle Um, and calls his mate Michael Pallier, obviously. And, you know, we're taken back to, I think, Northbridge to Innisfail Castle, I think it is, Um, which, by the way, is still on the market still hasn't been sold. But, you know, like beautiful thing. I thought Carson from Downton Abbey would probably, you know, open the door and offer us tea, um, you know, but she's brought this mate of hers um, who is even weirder yeah.
1: than
0: right. her with the Tibetan singing bowl, yeah. um, you know, like is, is she, what she got in the bowl, <laughs> is the energy any good, um, you know, like, I, you know, and then I think, you um, they all go down to the dungeon and then I think Liam gets a bit worried that he's going to get locked in there too. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. What did you think of that house? Yeah, look, I mean, the house was
2: incredible. The whole heritage overlay, I think, is the biggest problem in, in that there's very little you can do with it. And uh, as much as it's a, a beautiful castle on the outside, it's pretty run down on the inside and it would take um, a lot of work and a lot of money to, to do something like that up. Pallia offers the... Um, Solution, I suppose, in that there's DA approved plans for a really ultra modern extension or wing of this place. Uh, look for me that the the juxtaposition of the old and new there just wouldn't work. I didn't think that the plans looked that great. Um, obviously, as you said, the place is still on the market now online. So um, Tamara's obviously not the buyer, even though her uh, friend said that the energy in in most of the place was quite good. Um, again from a a practical point of view these things happen um in my career we've had plenty of opportunities or or plenty of instances where people have come with their healer friend to make sure that the energy in the house was on point we've had people wanting early access to smudge the place with burning sage um i've had uh, a couple of asian buyers that have come through with experts in feng shui um so i think yeah it's it's again it's, it's odd. Um, it's something that I don't really get and, and a lot of people probably don't get but I think that it's something that's not all that uncommon these days.
0: Yeah well it's uh, you know again I think you've got to like you've got to meet the the vendor or the buyer where they're at and you know like let them let them do what they've got to do and correct. let them walk away with a good experience because all buyers are future sellers right
2: Yeah correct absolutely.
0: Interestingly in this episode as well, like I can remember, um, you know, interviewing someone a while ago about personal brands and, um, actually his name was Herman Chan. He was an agent in San Francisco and, um, and he was, he was a very out there character and, you know, he said, not everyone is going to want to be my customer. Um, But the people that I want to be my customers, customers will be attracted to my brand. And I thought we really saw this um, play out between Kai and Oliver Lavers, who are both, you know, elite agents within Gavin's team, when Gavin set them a challenge to say, all right, whoever finds the buyer for this one's going to get an extra 50k. Um, so interesting that he's sort of, you know, like ignited the compar- competitive spirit between the two of them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like I can remember Kai's style as being like, you know, let's get on with the deal and, 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 you know, giddy up by it now. And then, you know, then you had Oliver who was quite soft with the family and talking to the kids and playing with, you know, and it's just really interesting to see, you know, I think as an agent, you've really got to play into who you are um, because it can work for you. Like, you know, with, different vendors and different buyers.
2: Yeah, correct. And I think it would be really interesting to see if the tables were turned, how Kai would have dealt with the mother and the kids and how Ollie would have dealt with the the straight shooting bloke, because I think that um, inherently Kai seems to be that straight shooter, that go, 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 that um, get the deal done kind of guy where Ollie seems to be that softer approach. Um, So it would be interesting to see just how much they can turn that around to, to suit the the buyers and the sellers that they're dealing with and look I mean they're they're absolute guns in their own right so obviously they've got that down pat but I I think that was an interesting take on the the differences between um skill set attitude the way that they um they conduct themselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, can I just say, you know, like I think that there's probably a lot of people that would like to see a whole lot more Oliver Lavers um, in season 2 because um, I don't think I'm the only one that thinks he looks a little Harvey Specter. So um, not nice. that I've got a little not that I've got a little crush on Ollie, but um, I think he's, you know, I think he's an unsung hero of the series.
2: I'm sure he would like to hear that. I hope he's watching. Good on you, Ollie. Hold well on. <laughs> Daniela, Delene's assistant, it comes to the crunch for them to have their uh, one-on-one meeting at the end of the probation period to decide whether Daniela stays or Daniela goes. And whilst Delene points out that there's definitely some areas for improvement for her, and I think she does that in a really nice, respectful, constructive manner. um, Ultimately, Daniela's given the job, um, but it looks like she's not still there. We've done a little bit of searching and uh, her LinkedIn profile would suggest that she's back down in Boongong, where I think she originates from. So perhaps uh, Sydney just wasn't to her liking. Um, I'm sure Gavin Rubenstein would say that another one bites the dust. He's had a bit of uh, a digger to lean throughout the series about how many uh, staff and assistants that she may have gone through throughout her uh, long career. Um, yeah, it looks like Daniela's not there. And speaking of uh, the superstars that aren't there anymore, it also looks like our friend Liam is no longer there.
0: I know. I know. He's, um, you know, his Instagram said something about pursuing other opportunities, so he won't be in season two, but yeah, um, there, there was some hints, uh, I think somebody did story, I don't know whether it was Daily Mail, that he might be showing up on TV somewhere else. Because, again, I think if you can pull off a party with, you know, everything from swans to waiters in pink budgie smugglers to pink penis straws to, you know, like all of the things that he did, like, you know, like I, when I come back in the next life, I want Liam organising my hen's party, basically. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> um but yeah so then then i guess the the crescendo of the episode is the boat party where we find out who's won the money
2: yeah and nice guys uh, don't finish last
0: yeah from um from gavin's team and gavin is talking about considering Um, whether or not to expand his business and the phone rings and um, in a probably like what was a bit of a uh, you know a brain fade moment like you know quick hurry wrap up filming because you know like COVID we're all going to be locked down soon. Gavin says it's Ray White the big boss (laughs) Um, but we know that it couldn't have been Ray White right because Ray White He's a couple of generations uh, ago, I think, isn't it? a couple of generations ago, yeah. So, um, and I did, um, you know, so I thought, all right, well, well, who is it? Is it, is it Brian? I is it, it Brian Dan? Yeah, is it Carl Sandlin saying hurry up? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can, can, you, can you guys please wrap it up, you know, like as we're about to get shut down? Um, or, you know, like what was it? Who do you think it was?
2: I think it was probably Brian. I think we see a very quick snippet. I don't know if it's... At the end of that season, whether they had a a bit of a sneak peek of what was to come or certainly in some of the trailers that have come out since, um, where it looks like a a beautiful green lawn, um, probably somewhere on Wolseley Road in Point Piper, I would think, uh, on the harbour, and it's Gavin and Brian sitting down. There may have been a third person. Maybe it was Dan as well. But I think, um, yeah, I think when uh, Gavin says that Ray White is calling, um, the Ray White, I think it's uh, (laughs) the timeline of Ray White, um and yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that kicks off season two.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the castle. So, so here's here's what we know about season two so far. So the cliffhangers, um, I asked we had Dan White on the podcast recently, and, and I said, who was it? He was kind of being tight-lipped and just said, Well, you know, like it could have been could have been anyone really. Um, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see the White family show up in some shape or form. Uh, the castle is still not sold. Um, you know, I don't, I still, I think Simon's still unattached as far as I can tell I've stalked his Instagram. (laughs) So, but you know, like I still think we should mount that batchy 2023 campaign because I just do think that he and Osha would look really great together. Um, and then the other, um, big cliffhanger was Tammy was, um, you know, trying to weigh up whether she would stay, should she stay or should she go? Should she stay with Simon or join Queen Deline? Um, What are your thoughts?
2: I don't think she'll leave. I think that she's really found her groove with Simon. I think that they, from what we see on the the show, they work really well together. I think uh, Tammy is Simon's donna from Suits and I think that he would be um, really at a loss without her. Um, And I think also she is such a, an ingrained family member of the Cohen handler business that I don't think that there'd be enough of an attraction to, to go. Also switching from being a, a buyer's agent or a buyer's agent's associate into a selling agent's role or a selling agent's associate. Uh, although there's some common themes, it's it's, it's quite a different uh, position to, to hold. So I think she'll stay. My money's on stay.
0: Yeah, my well yeah, my this this sounds like married at first sight, doesn't it? My money's yeah. on stay as well. Yeah. Um, because she's still on she's still on the um Cohen Handler website. Ah, well, there <laughs> we go. <laughs> that's that's a bit more you know, the, the thing the thing with um the news in real estate is it's really easy, you know, like <laughs> you can kill them and, and they're everywhere. So um the other thing too that I hope they pick up in season two is the commercial venture, um Costi Cohen. So yeah, I thought that was um, you know, that was that was pretty interesting. And of course, um I think uh with Costi Cohen, like Taz Costi is actually linked to Shanee. I think they're engaged now. Um mm-hmm. So, um, you know, like this is the last of the Instagram stalkers I am. But, um, yeah, it's so. how
2: the incestuous the industry is and how very few um, degrees of separation there is between anyone and anyone within the, the industry, particularly in Sydney and particularly in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. I think we also, and we'll talk about uh, what we can expect from season two in a tick, but there's also um, a link between Simon and the newest member of the the, the main cast, uh, who is the absolutely fabulous Monica too. Monica Two, yeah. Um, with uh, Tim Zoo, it's Tim, isn't it? The boxer. His mum was an agent for Black Diamonds uh, for a number of years, and is now a, a buyer's agent associate with Simon. So there's um, links everywhere. I mean, and that is typical of real estate in in Australia.
0: So there's a lesson there too, actually, that you've just got to keep it tidy and keep it dignified and, and everything like no, no matter where you go and sort of try and remain on good terms with, with everybody that you
1: meet.
0: 100%. So we've seen the trailer for season two. Um, what, what do you reckon is coming up based on the trailer? There's a lot of rap music again.
2: Yeah, look, it, I mean, it's a, it's a rap lover's paradise, like this season <laughs> one, and I think season two is probably going to be no different. Um, I quite like it. It's quite good. Um, I'm really excited to see what Monica brings to the show. Um, I think that she is a real rags to riches story, um, and I love her story. I've seen her speak. She I've never met her personally, but she seems hilarious um, outside of the the, the professional persona that she has. Um, So I'm really excited to see what Monica brings. Um, I think it's going to add that extra layer. And you mentioned before that there's rumours that we see a bit more um, over the bridge action in season two. Uh, And that doesn't surprise me at all because Monica's working with um, sort of the elite of of Chinese investors in Australia. And a lot of them are in those North Shore, upper North Shore suburbs, Um, even out to the inner West. I know that she sells a lot out there. Um, So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what how the dynamic changes a little with Monica being brought in. Does Queen Deline feel some threat there? She's still Queen Deline in my eyes, but she's no longer uh, the sole princess. Yeah, let's see. Let's see how they handle that.
0: Yeah, well, I, I love Monica too. I'm a I'm I'm a big Monica. You can't have too too much Monica too, I reckon. Um, we've met her a few times, and she reminds me a bit of a Lucy Lou, You know, she's just yeah. like this superhero that sort of walks in with all furs and hair and. Um, stilettos and I can remember meeting her at ARIC a couple of years ago just before we interviewed her and she was wearing these amazing shoes Um, I think they were boutons with the the spiky things on them and I said oh Monica I I love your shoes and she said I said that the spikes are amazing and she said yes they're really good for kicking butts Mm -hmm. (laughs) so um, and there's there's plenty of butts to kick I reckon in the eastern suburbs so um, I can't wait to see what what she does.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And the other telltale that Tammy and Simon are still working together is that I think we've seen a little bit of a snippet, a very quick snippet. You've got to be a little bit eagle-eyed, um, but then together, working together in uh, in the next season. I'm so happy to see that. Um, and Australia's golden girl, the Delta Goodrum, uh, perhaps a, a buyer's agent client of Simon's, it seems.
0: Well, um, I, I can't wait to see because I'm, I'm. Look, I'm a fan of Delta. Like you know, I don't care what anyone says about her. I love her, oh. and um, yeah, it was like lovely to see her her show up. And I think um, you know this the snippet I saw was at, you know she was taller than Simon too, so um, she must be very very tall in real life. But I can't yeah. wait to see whether it's um, you know it could look it could be a performance on a boat. Who knows? Um, who knows? But. Uh, yeah. Who knows? Anyway, anyway, I can't wait to find out this is the main thing. <laughs> I know, and thankfully, we don't have long to wait. Okay, folks. Well, that's a wrap on season one. Dave, thank you so much for taking that um, that journey back through Lux Listings. I mean, I certainly enjoyed the, the the series, and I know you did too. And I actually had heaps of fun reliving it just now.
2: Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me.
0: So, Lux Listings season two drops on Friday the 1st of April. You're going to get three episodes at once. That's um, one, two, and three. And Dave and I will be back on Saturday to give you our thoughts and takeaways and things like that on those episodes. And then we'll see you again once a week um, on a Saturday uh, with the same things. And we can't wait to to talk about all things Lux. Dave, thank you once again. Big love and thanks to issue.com for sponsoring the series. And we will see you all again soon.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate Podcast. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com.